Good morning. Just going to see if I can get this so it doesn't move. One second. Steady. Good to be with you this morning. I want to thank Julia, Liz, and Hillary for sharing this morning. I kind of felt like you guys did the sermon, so I don't know. Thank you for that. That was really special. And then I don't know the guy's name who prayed for the kids. What, I, I should know this. Where? Jason, thank you for that touching prayer. Just a good reminder going in that we can move our hands, we can move our lips, but God uh, sees our heart. And that's kind of what we're talking about this morning. So you didn't know, but you gave a good sermon analogy. Thank you, Jason. So a few weeks ago, celebrity, chef, author, television personality, travel documentarian, Anthony Bourdain was found dead in his apartment. Um, He had committed suicide. And I actually didn't know who he was at the time. I I don't know how I missed it, actually. But um, he was beloved by so many people. And uh, after his death, it was all over social media, all over the news. Uh, This man just touched so many so many people's lives. Um, he did uh, television shows about culture and cuisine and the human condition and really had an impact. And here he had committed suicide. I follow someone on Instagram called Scott Erickson or known his handle is Scott the Painter. Does anyone else here follow Scott the Painter? Yeah, he's got some profound uh, illustrations, paintings, and also profound words that he puts along with his, his, uh, his posts. And so this is, this is the one, his tribute to Anthony Bourdain. And this is what he said with his post. First, it is a tragedy and a loss to lose a great human, lover, father, chef, creative like Anthony Bourdain. I love his work and his striving for authenticity. And we're all going to miss that light that was in our world. Second, and I say this with humility, But I submit to you that something happened to a lot of us. And what happened with his suicide is that it revealed the fragility of our chosen goals. Accomplishment, fame, travel, wealth. What we think is there for us is not there. We look to leaders, celebrities, successful individuals to hold our hope for us. We hang our doubts, fears, anxieties, on the coat rack of their lives. So for one of them to decide not to be themselves any longer, they expose our insecurity and our chosen trajectory. Success is not an outward destination, but an inward one. I'm grieved by the loss of someone I don't know, but someone I look to as an inspiration for living a full life. But once again, I'm reminded that the constant work is to do the practices of mental, physical, and spiritual health that creates an inner foundation from which to stand from. End of the quote. So, like Scott, the painter, I also think, how can that life not be satisfying? I mean, this man had everything that you could imagine. His net worth was in the millions. He traveled for his job. He had fame. He was known across the world. But what really resonated with me with what um, I just read was this saying, What we think is there for us is not there. 
The rewards of accomplishment, fame, travel, wealth are fleeting after all. They're one minute and gone the next. And I think as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, this is actually a lot of what Jesus uh, is talking about, especially in today's passage and as we go, we go forward. Uh, Scott the painter says at the end, he says, talks about this inner foundation from which to stand, to stand all the pieces of who we are. And Jesus also talks a lot about that, but he, but he takes it from a, a spiritual perspective and basically says that it's kind of like a, like a wheel or a pie, and we see ourselves as you know, physical and spiritual, emotional, mental people, um, and yet Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is, is saying, your spiritual self is actually in the middle, and let me tell you um, how to live the good life from that place where your spiritual self is actually informing all the other parts of who you are, and that's what we're uh, looking at again this morning. So let's pray together before we dive into the passage. Jesus, we, uh, we want to be taught by you this morning. We thank you for this sermon that you preached so many years ago. We thank you that you know us so well and that you are after our hearts, you're after our wholeness and our health. We thank you that you don't beat around the bush, that you just say it how it is and you invite us into wholeness in you, and we just ask for your spirit to move in us this morning to speak to us. We thank you that you are with us. Amen. Okay, so you can find our, your passage in the Bibles on the chairs, and I, it's on page 678, and I encourage you to keep your thumb in there this morning because I'm going to be just kind of referencing it here and there throughout our time this morning. And you might want to see if what I'm saying is true, so feel free to look back as we go. I don't want to put a lot of slides on the, uh, I was going to say on the overhead throwback on the screen uh, this morning, so just use the, use the book as you want, and uh, otherwise I'll be, I'll be quoting it as we go along. So Matthew 6, 1-4 is our passage this morning, and this is what it says. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by, them, by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret." Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. The word of the Lord. So one book that I, I used uh, quite a bit in the sermon I preached a month or so ago, and I know that it's been used um, in other sermons on this series, is one by Dallas Willard called The Divine Conspiracy. Um, I'm making my way through it now fully because I actually haven't read the whole book. Probably shouldn't admit that in front of you. Um, but it's so good, and I recommend it. And Dallas Willard, in, uh, in the chapter on chapter 6, this is what he calls his chapter, Escaping the Deception of Reputation and Wealth. So right there, I'm like, oh, i got to read this. This is an interesting take. And here's how he kind of starts his chapter. Having shown us true well-being and the goodness of the kingdom heart, Jesus now, in Matthew 6, alerts us to the two main things that will block or hinder a life constantly interactive with God and healthy growth in the kingdom. These are 
the desires to have the approval of others, especially for being devout, and the desire to secure ourselves by means of material wealth. So going into chapter 6, Jesus turns a corner. As you guys know, if you've been following the series, chapter 5, he talked a lot about fulfilling the law, what that means, um, our righteousness, how we exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. And um, we talked a lot about anger and lust and how important our words are. And now Jesus turns a bit of a corner and starts to talk about not the things that we shouldn't do, but the things the good things that we do, and he starts to speak into those good deeds, those acts of righteousness. So a bit of a template for this morning's passage. I believe it's up on the screen there. Um, so basically, there's, there's a few things that Jesus is kind of putting over the, this passage, verses 1 to 4. Do acts of righteousness. You will be seen when you do them, and you will receive a reward by the one who sees you. And that's just kind of a, this is, how, this is how it is. This is how we are as humans. Um, so what's happening here? So that, if that's the template, um, how have humans, in this case, first century uh, Jews sitting on the mountainside listening to Jesus as he gives his sermon, how have they lived this pattern out? Uh, Jesus often speaks against a backdrop. And what is the backdrop here um, that, they're, that they're living out? So here's what, what we're seeing instead. So acts of righteousness were still being done. Our focus today is on almsgiving or giving. So that's good. That was good. Yay, yay, people. Um, but they were being done to be seen by others. So they will be seen, and their motivation was to be seen by others, and therefore that the, the reward that they were given was given um, by the people who would see them. So once again, Jesus, just like in chapter 5, he wants to dive into this and into the intents and the motives of our hearts. At this point, I, I kind of feel like we could use a bit of a break. Do you guys ever feel that? I mean, we're doing this sermon series over like three or four months. Jesus was preaching it. I don't know how long it took him to preach it. But he's covered so much material that it almost feels like it's time for, I don't know, a snack maybe on the hillside, um, maybe a nap. But Jesus instead decides, okay, I've talked about the things that you shouldn't do. Now let's talk about the things that you should do, the good things that you do. Let's look at those and, and dig into those intents and motives. And this is where we're reminded once again that Jesus isn't just about doing the, the right thing or not doing the wrong thing. That's religion. Jesus is going for the heart of the matter for our hearts. And that's ultimately what following Jesus is all about and what a relationship with him is about. I just love that his, um, his goal is always to bring us to life. You know, his goal is always to breathe life into us in the places where even the good things that we do, they're just kind of dead. We just do them because we feel we have to. We want to be good people. And we see that again in this passage, Jesus wanting to breathe life into even the good things in our lives. So Jesus, once again, wants to show us a different way, a new way, and we're going to get into that. Um, but first, let's talk about what the people would have heard. So they would have heard uh, this, this part of the sermon, and uh, I don't know, how would they hear it, right? We hear it a certain way. We hear the word almsgiving, and we're just like, what, what is that? I don't even know what that is. We don't do almsgiving uh, anymore, at least not in, in North America. But how would they hear it? Well, 
Remember, these were, this is primarily a Jewish audience, so they would know the Torah, they would know uh, the Old Testament, they would know their history as a people. And back in Deuteronomy, uh, they have a, some scripture that says, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. So God, at the beginning of forming this people, establishes a law that just says, take care of the poor people in your land. Give uh, of your resources to them. And then over the years, they, they, they do that. They form their nation. They, they move into Israel. They conquer other nations, the whole story. Um, but just like we do today, um, they take kind of that initial um, command from God and they, they make it into something else. And we don't have this book in our Bible, but in the Apocrypha, which is a whole other story, but not in our scripture, uh, there's this book called Tobit. And this is what Tobit says, Tobit 12, verse 9. For almsgiving delivers from death, and it will purge away every sin. Those who perform deeds of charity and of righteousness will have fullness of life. And so here's something where they, they have this initial law from God to give of their resources to the poor, and already they've taken it to be basically that if you give your money to poor people, you will be atoned for your sin. I don't think that's what, but anyway... That's, that's where it went. And so they, they, they grew the law to mean uh, certain things. And so Jesus, of course, knew this. He grew up in the Jewish tradition, as did the listeners. And so very likely this is, this is what is in Jesus' head when he's approaching this verse. They've elevated almsgiving so much that it could actually uh, remove their sin from them. So Jesus outlines two ways of giving for us in this, uh, in this passage. So the first way. The hypocrite way, that's what he calls them. Uh, those that are motivated uh, by being seen by others. We'll look at that one first. Okay, you notice that there's trumpets sounding in this verse, in verse 2. Let's just, just in case you don't believe me, let me just read that part. You're like, trumpets, what? Yes. Okay, um, here we are. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by them. Okay, so the question that I had, I don't know if you have this question, but really, did people actually do that? Did they actually bring trumpeteers, trumpeters, trumpeteers, uh, with them when they were going to give? So they would go to the synagogue, and they would announce, I am giving $100 to the poor today. And then they would have, you know, trumpets, um, and, and what I've read, this is actually just Jesus using hyperbole, so it, there's no documented case in history that there, this actually happened, but Jesus is just saying it's almost as if you're bringing a band with you to announce your gift um, that you're giving to the poor. So we're going to go with that. I don't think it really matters either way. You guys get the point, right? Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the hypocrite. Does anyone know, um, anyone here know Greek? Very well. A couple people. Okay, Joel. So, Joel, do you know, um, with the word hypocrite, before Jesus used it in a spiritual context, what was the word hypocrite used for? Please leave. <laughs> you're very, actually, you're very close. Yeah, you're very close. Um, and maybe the commentaries I read are actually wrong. Maybe you're right. But um, it was actually used for actor. So, modern-day um, Greek culture... 
they would basically say, hey, do you want to go watch the hypocrites tonight on stage? Um, that was what it was used for. It was just actors. And then Jesus took the word, and for the first time, as far as we know, in history, in literature, he gave it a spiritual connotation um, in talking about the Pharisees. So actors, hypocrites, there's some of you here today. There's some hypocrites here today. Am I right? Yeah. Dice, you're, you're a hypocrite. You're an actor. <laughs> um, so those who put on various masks to play different roles. And so Jesus took this word and said, uh, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the actors who perform external acts of righteousness to look good, but that actually are wearing masks, and they mask, even to themselves, their own inner corruption. Jesus uses this word quite a bit in the Gospels. Uh, here's a, a little excerpt from Matthew 23, so later on in, in the Gospel, where he just comes down so hard on the Pharisees. Check this out. Matthew 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more, the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the, out, the, out, the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Powerful verses. I think it's safe to say that Jesus hated hypocrisy. To him, it was death. It was self-indulgent. It led people astray. It kept people in bondage. It stole life. It severed relationships. It kept people from relationships. And worst of all, it kept people far from the Father. And what was their hypocrisy? Doing the right things for the wrong reasons. And we get this, right? We don't, we don't like it when people do that to us. I think the most quoted line in all of Bachelor and Bachelorette history, right, is, oh, he's here for the wrong reasons. Oh, she's, oh, you know, she's, she's wooing him, and we see it happening in the house, but she's doing it for all the wrong reasons. Right? Am I, yeah, you guys have never seen that show? No? I haven't seen it either. I just did um, research on that. So we see that. So yeah, The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. This is a perfect example. I don't know if someday I might get in trouble for that analogy, but whatever the case is, um, just like in love, in human love, it matters greatly why we do what we, why we do what we do and why we say what we say. The motive matters. Just like in human relationships, our good deeds if done with the wrong motives, can only go so far. Eventually, it's uncovered, the relationship is over, uh, people are, are very hurt. 
So too with our relationship with God. God. God cares why we do what we do. God cares that we are doing our acts of righteousness for the right reasons. Okay, so Jesus says that if you do your acts of righteousness to be seen by others, there's a reward. There is a reward. What is that reward? We've got temporary applause, so um, possibly back in the day when the trumpets would sound, um, the gift was given before the synagogue, people would be like, wow, wow, she's so generous. And they would, I don't know if they clap or pat them on the back, but there's an there's, there's a, a element of applause that we get when we give um, to be seen by others. Also results in good reputation, right? We get, we're generous, people think well of us, like, oh, that person, oh yeah, that's, that's a good person right there. Um, we get increased self-esteem. We feel good about ourselves. People, people like me. People know that I'm a good person and I'm generous. It also helps to form our self-identity. So we just feel better um, about who we are as a person, and that's based on what you think of me. And so Jesus says that you actually get this reward when you give uh, for other people to see you, and you get it in full. So there's a, there's a reward, and, and here you go. You get all of that. But I think Jesus knows something that we don't know. I think it goes back to what I read at the beginning from Scott the Painter, that what we think is there for us is not there. So what about for us in our culture in this day and age? Um, we, we use pre-authorized debit for our giving, don't we? So no one, I don't know what you guys give. Um, I don't know who you give to. And so it's kind of like, well, this is, you know, this is a nice, a nice passage, but it's not really applicable. I mean, our giving is basically done in secret for the most part with, with computers and robots. Um, so is this actually something that we need to pay attention to? Also, as a side note, I think if someone did stand up here, let's say an artisan, and say, uh, you know, I just want everyone to know that I'm giving $1,000 in the offering plate this morning, I don't think we would applause. I think we're, we are in a culture where uh, we value the appearance of humility, right? <laughs> um, so we're not gonna, I'm not going to applause for that person. What a, oh, he's so prideful. Um, and so we, we wouldn't even, this, this almost seems like, yeah, so, much, so many parts of this just aren't where we live anymore. And yet, there is more. We definitely live in a culture where self-esteem is valued, don't we? We know, and just like it was back then. Um, where self-worth, um, personal value, it's all a part of what, what we're after. And I think in our culture, finding this outside of organization or religion or even other person, that's the ultimate goal. And there is, there is a lot of good to that as well. I mean, I mean, I think especially for women, I think of even what Julia was sharing. So much of our self-worth has, as women has been defined by other people. Um, and so there's, there's so much health to coming to a place where um, we don't need to use what people think to, to how, with how we see ourselves. Um, but we take it we take it to the extreme, of course, because we are human after all. And I think as a culture, we've come to a place where we say, I am who I say I am. I get to define myself. I get to say what my identity is. And so Jesus in this passage, interestingly enough, he's giving illustrations, he's giving examples, so he's talking about giving. He talks about prayer and fasting later on. But he starts it with acts of righteousness. 
And I just love how he, again, he's not giving more laws, so these three things, listen up, people. He's just saying, here's some illustrations, here's some examples of how you can do your acts of righteousness um, for others, to be seen by others. And so today, maybe it's not giving for us specifically. Maybe it is. I don't know. Um, the, the thing about this whole passage is that we don't know. It's all about the heart. And so I don't know your motives. You don't know mine. Um, it's between you and God. It's the God who sees in secret. Um, but whatever it is, um, I think that's where we want to go this morning in addressing that. So let's talk just for a brief minute about, about social media. Do you guys recognize that little symbol? Yeah, it's a like. It's a like. <laughs> Sounds so weird. That's what we call it. Um, so on one hand, we're this, we're this culture that just craves to find our own way and to say, I am who and what I say I am. And then on the other hand, we're this culture that desperately needs uh, validation from other people. And I think the internet has just ramped that up even more. So I'm special, I'm awesome, I'm fun, I'm thinking about the things, you know, posting on social media. Um, I've, I define who I am, look at my life, I'm doing what I want to do, I'm going where I want to go. On one hand, that's us, and then suddenly it's, are they liking me? They like my picture? Do they know that I said that really cool thing? I did a really good quote today, you guys. I quoted, it was, I'm super smart, because I know really good quotes. And, and do they, I also gave to this charity, and it, like, I, I posted it because um, I want them to also give. I, it's not because I want them to know that I gave to it, but I want people to know that I gave to the charity, and so, but no one's liking it. Oh, I'll delete it. That was embarrassing. Um, and so we, you know, we have, we have this kind of paradox that we live in of, of wanting to um, be our own person, define who we are, and yet we so desperately also need the validation every day of the ding on our phones to go off. I think we want to believe that we have, we're a self-made man or woman, and yet we still live in the same trap that the first century Jews lived, which was um, that other people defined who they were. And Jesus is offering us an escape from that. So what are our acts of righteousness? I really struggled with this. I'm not going to lie. I just didn't know, which is really bad. Like, we don't even think about it, right? And so when I got to preparing, I'm just like, uh... I don't know, what do we do? What do we do to be seen by others? I think it's just so much ingrained to us sometimes of how we live our lives that we don't even really know that that's our motivation. So that's step one, just like, God, search my heart. I don't even know why I do what I do sometimes. Perhaps a different way of, of answering uh, this question is to frame the question differently. So I asked it instead like this. What do we do in front of others? with the motivation of being seen by them for the sake of their applause and approval. How do I try to impress you? How does your opinion of me control me? So it could be financial giving, that could be one thing, but let's stretch it a little bit further than that, our acts of righteousness. Maybe it's supporting the right causes uh, maybe it's talking about the right issues. I think, I think we just, we're in a, in a culture where 
we've kind of moved past the, the showiness of religion. I, I think it's very distasteful to a lot of us, especially if we kind of grew up in that environment. And so um, maybe now we've moved on. Well, I still want to be known as a good person. So how do we try to be that good person in front of others? Um, maybe it's more social or ethical issues that we, we want to support. Again, just to, be, just to be very clear, Jesus is not saying don't do it. He's very much saying give, give to the poor, do these things. This is a part um, of your, your worship. Um, but he's, he's going after the motive. So what do we give? What do we talk about? What politicians do we feel like sometimes we just need to do the little joke because we know that that will just increase our, our in our in crowdness a little bit more. I think we've got some of that going on right now where we just, you know, I, need, I should laugh at that thing because I know that people will see me laughing and know that I don't approve of that. Um, there's, there's lots of places you can go with what are our acts of righteousness. Um, once you open that can of worms, it, it, Go into your heart and ask the Lord, what, what are my acts of righteousness that I'm doing to be seen by other people? Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And so just like the Jews, first century, they receive their reward, we receive the same reward in the 21st century. Temporary applause, a good reputation, increased self-esteem, and further formation of our identity as good people. But there's two ways. There's another way, of course, there is. It's Jesus. So let's go into that. I'm going to drink some water first. One second. Okay, so Matthew 6, 3 to 4. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What does that mean? It's kind of like saying, um, don't think about elephants. And then everyone just thought of an elephant, right? Did you? Did you? Did it work? It worked. It's kind of like that, right? It's like, how do you not left, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing? That seems impossible. But I think it's like, um, for me, it's like going for a run. I do not like running. I started running again because it's healthy. But it is a struggle every time to go. And when I start, I am miserable. And it's just hard work and I feel like I want to throw up, and all the things that you don't want to hear about, don't ever go running with me, it's not fun. Um, and then sometimes when you're running, you kind, of, you kind of forget the pain, you forget what you're doing, and you just start to run, and you start to think and dream, and I don't have that experience every time, but suddenly you get to the end of your run, and you're like, oh, I'm at the end, oh, I just, I just ran, cool. I actually just didn't even know that I was running or driving a car, or speaking your native tongue, English, for most of us. Um, I, that's, that's what Jesus is saying. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Let your giving come to a place where you don't really even know you're doing it. It's just a natural part of who you are in relationship with Jesus. And that is a huge difference 
miles away from giving for the sake of being seen by others. So I want to tell you a little story about me. I told this story actually during story time, um, maybe about five years ago, four years ago. So if you remember that long ago, you'll hear it again. If not, then it's new. It's a new story. So I, uh, I have always wanted to be, or always wanted to be a missionary uh, growing up. So I, I went to school for anthropology, did more schooling. Um, I worked in the church. I did everything in my life to go overseas and, and bring the gospel to unreached people. That was, my, that was my goal for many years. I even dated in such a way that if you did not want to go overseas, you were not going to be my partner. And I'm, I'm still dealing with those consequences. <laughs> so that's a different sermon. Um, but I was very focused. This was my life. I was in my 20s, in my early 30s. I was heading overseas. And I was kind of, I was going to bring cool back, you know, with missionaries. You know, I was like, I was, I was single, obviously. Um, I was debt-free. I had my education. I had experience. I had kind of the, the checklist that, that one would, you'd think one would need um, to go overseas. So I began to raise support. I would speak at churches. Um, I had to rally people around the vision that I had for India. I was going with a team. Um, and, and pretty soon I discovered that, oh, this, this kind of feels, this feels kind of good getting to speak in front of people and them, you know, coming up to me after and like, oh, it's such a good, like, oh, what a good vision you have. And, oh, you're just, you're giving up so much. Yes, yes, I am. Um, obviously, I'm exaggerating a little bit, um, but you get my point. It, you start to feed off that a little bit. I became influenced by reputation very much so. I struggled with my call. I got to tell you, the two years that I was raising those support, oh, I, I wrestled. I didn't know if I should go. And yet, I was, the wheels were in motion. People were expecting me to go. I was expecting me to go. And I wanted to do the very best thing I could ever do for God, which is obviously going to India. And so uh, that's what I did. There were warning signs. I did not heed them. I'm going to India. This is what I'm doing with my life. I committed myself 10 years in India, sold everything I had. I'm going to be a missionary. So long story short, I got there, and I crashed and burned so fast. And the checklist suddenly was thrown out the window. It's like, what's wrong with me? I, I had insomnia. I was severely depressed. I didn't want to see anyone. I didn't want to go outside. I started losing weight. Um, I was just sick in every single way, and it happened so fast. And I didn't want people at home to know because they had given their money and their prayers and their time to send me to India, and how could I let them down? And so when I knew I should go home, I didn't because people would think bad of me. How am I going to explain this? I just, I just raised support for two years. My vision did not happen. It crumbled uh, along with my dreams. And so around month five, kind of cracked around month one, so it didn't take very long. Around month five, 
my teammates who I was living with said, Steph, you gotta get, you gotta leave India, like you're, you're not doing well. Um, the mission didn't wanna send me home yet, they wanted to just like, let's just give her a little break, maybe she just needs uh, some fresh air, literally fresh air, because it's Delhi. Um, and so I went to Thailand. Um, there was a, a missionary team there that uh, did counseling, and so they were really well established. So I went for a week of counseling and rest and beef. And I, all I remember is the story I'm about to tell you and eating beef every single day. Um, and it was so good. And so I, I met with this prayer counselor, and she's like, how did you get here, Steph? And so I started telling her my story, my call, and all the things that brought me to India and the way that I just lost it. And at some point in um, that conversation, she just stopped me and looked at me and she said, Steph, abundant life isn't just for Indians, it's for you too. And with that, I knew that I was done. I knew that I was going home because I knew that I did not know what she was talking about. I did not know that abundant life. And here I had given up so much of my life. And I was doing this, this big show to be this big Christian. And I didn't know the abundant life of Jesus myself. So I went home. And I lay on a couch for eight months and I was severely depressed. I didn't, I didn't do anything. I didn't want to see anyone. I wasn't funny. I wasn't smart. I wasn't interesting. I just, I lost myself, and I was so angry at God. And my faith, what I thought, who I thought God was, it just, it just crumbled. And yet, in those dark days and nights, um, the miracle of God happened. I knew for the, maybe the first time that in my not doing anything and not being anyone and not having any titles, in my couch dwelling and tears and sadness and disappointment, God loved me. And I knew it more than I'd ever known it before. And from that place, God has brought me back to life. And that was four or five, I don't know, five years ago maybe. And I'm still learning what that means, but I wanted to share that story with you because I think that's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. And I think that's what this passage is about. It's like if we want to live our lives um, for the sake of other people seeing us, we can. God will let us. Um, we get that reward temporarily. There is a reward. But, um, but there's another way. And I'm not, I don't tell you that story to be like, to be scared. Like, oh no, what's my India? Um, you know, I, God works in our lives in all different ways and, and you have a different story. But he went after me. Because at the end of the day, I wanted to follow Jesus, and he knew that. And so he uh, brought me to a place where I began to understand what abundant life was about. I'm way off script here, so just give me a second. Not off script, but I'm not following my bullet points at all. So I just want to tell you this morning that these words today that we've been hearing, that we will hear, it's true. It's true. The abundant life is true. And it's for not just me but it's for you. It's what God calls all of us to if we just say yes. 
So we get a reward also. God says that he sees in secret and he will reward us. Well, what is that reward? Scripture talks a lot about rewards actually and some of it will happen on the other side when the kingdom comes in fullness. Some of our reward comes then, but I believe that we also get rewarded now because eternity has already started if you are a follower of Jesus. We're already in that place. And so what is that reward? Can't, we can't list it all. I need to hear your story. You get to hear mine. But here's part of the reward. It's freedom. It's simplicity. It's rest from striving. It's peace in chaos. It's knowing that you don't have to do anything, anything. You don't have to give anything to know the love of God, to have his love. It is his presence in dark places. It is his friendship in loneliness. It is salvation from sin and death and from myself. It is eternity with your creator, starting now. And this is what a relationship with Jesus offers, and this is what Jesus is calling us into in this passage. Jesus, God, sees us and wants to offer us so much more than the temporary praise of others as we're doing our good deeds. If you've been around Arisen, you know this verse in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and, and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A little bit of context in that verse is that the verses before it are actually talking about, oh, John, people are saying to Jesus, like, John doesn't eat and drink, and, and uh, people call him names for that. And then Jesus comes uh, eating and drinking, and he's called a, a drunkard and a, and a glutton. And just like this back and forth of like, you can't win kind of thing. And then Jesus goes on to talk about, you know, woe is you, all these cities who see miracles and, and, um, and don't turn and repent. So lots happening before. And then Jesus comes to this, all of this stuff. And then in the message it says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And that is what Jesus um, invited me into four or five years ago, a different way of living. And that, that's Jesus' invitation for us this morning as well, even as we're doing our good deeds. A couple questions as we finish off this morning. The question that's already been asked, what do I do in front of others with the motivation of being seen by them for the sake of their applause and approval? A second question that really is just a tag on to the first question, same thing, next step. What area of my life or act of righteousness is Jesus calling me into greater freedom from and into further rest and abundance through practicing the discipline of secrecy? And what is that? That's a, that's a Dallas Willard phrase. Basically just, there's something in my life that, oh, I know I'm doing it to be seen. I know that I'm doing it for 
the applause of others, and, and Jesus just inviting you to take a step back, say, hey, I want to I wanna work with you on this. I want to show you my riches and my rewards in that good thing that you're doing. And ask the Lord, what does secrecy look like for a certain time of your life, a week, a month, a year, but doing that thing um, in secret so that you can be trained by the ways of the Lord? Third question. Do you want to know Jesus? It's <laughs> such a simple question, but, but I realized in, in, in sharing um, today and my story, it's just like, I am so grateful for the work of God in my life, um, for the miracle of God. And it's just like, if you don't know Jesus, you get to know him too. You get to know the same Jesus that I know and that so many people in this room know. And so if this is, you know, your first time here or you've been coming for a long time and you're um, just wondering what is this Jesus Christian thing all about, I just want you to know this is a place where you get to answer um, that that longing in your heart. You can do it elsewhere too, but this is the gathering of God's people, and why not here? If you want to say yes to Jesus, then this is a good place to do that. Um, how? It's super simple. Um, it's Obviously, it's all about the heart. Jesus knows that. That's what this whole sermon is about. If you want words to go along with what your heart is wanting, it's just repentance and turning to Jesus. Um, and saying, I, I want your life. I want your life in my life. I want to follow you. And so if you want to do that this morning, then do. <laughs> um, there's, if you came with someone who's a follower of Jesus, tell them and be like, hey, what, can you, I don't know, show me what to do? It's kind of weird, right? It's kind of weird, but it's real. Um, there's people praying over here. Maybe you want to just go talk with someone there. You want to come talk to me after? I'd love to have that conversation with you. There's lots of people here um, who would love to just lead you to the cross this morning. Um, and maybe you just want to get closer, and, and hopefully you've heard this morning that you can. Um, as you let go, as you make room for God in your heart, more room, uh, he will answer, and he will fill you uh, with that abundant life. So with Jesus, what we think is there for us also may not be there. But there is so much more. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your love. We thank you for your call. We thank you that you call us, that you're faithful to draw us to yourself. We just invite you, Lord, in this time of response to um, nudge us, to speak to us. We want to hear your voice. We want to obey. Give us hearts of obedience, God, because we know that obedience leads to your kingdom coming and your will being done, and it also lead, leads to our freedom and knowing what that abundant life in Christ is all about. Um, so just go with us here, Lord, in this place, and as we leave as well, uh, we invite your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>